Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey everybody, how's it going out there? We're back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room where the outside dogs go to uh, to hang, shoot the breeze, visit the fire hydrant. Howl. Know. We go to Howl. So there's an interesting thing that a, a venture capitalist firm is suing Apple or forcing them to diagnose why addiction to phones because they're saying it's a risk for the future growth of the company that is interesting isn't that fascinating yeah the balls those guys are 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 going from a peak state yeah those guys are super peak state what what a way to look into the future like my hat came off to those i read that today and like had to put take change my brown underwear pair it was just like wow that it just hit me as like that is that's cool. Well, and I actually didn't read that deep enough to understand the economic implications that they were making because when I read that on the agenda, I just thought to myself, oh, you know, this is another crusading social justice thing that it's all about the well-being of people and it's actually going to be destroyed because mm-hmm. it, it, it'll just be totally overrun by the engine of capitalism that is going to pursue towards capital gains and capital returns Mm -hmm. but when you put it like that that it's actually a risk to the return of the company that's so awesome isn't that cool and it's true because how long is the shelf life once people start thinking about this and realizing what it's doing to us if it's if we figure out this device is causing us to be mentally ill and unstable then capital you know hopeful humanity will evolve away from that Mm mm-hmm or, you know, hopefully it will. I think it will. And, you know, going along that point. Well, and it, that ultimately, that always comes down to, do you believe that, like, mankind is on the on the path towards destruction or towards, like, a Depends way? On who you ask. It totally does. I have a friend of mine who totally believes World War Three is going to be a thing that happens within our lifetime. Really? Yeah, he's convinced. He's also the most depressed person I've ever met. I think he's hoping for it. <laughs> is he hoping for yeah, it? I think he is hoping for it. No. Well, and I, to be honest, it wouldn't be that such a bad thing if, like, we financial system goes to ruins. We go back to hunter gatherer society. Like, you know, I'm down with that. There may, maybe I'm ready in to our play. evolutionary track. Well, yeah, well, of course we're ready to play. <laughs> I just got to get LASIK first and then I'll be fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or else you're really going to have to protect those I'm glasses of yours. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to steal one of those damn machines the first thing I do. Yeah, yeah. You're going to hijack an optometrist right away. Oh, yeah. Call them gunpoint. You need to do some LASIK. Give me LASIK now. <laughs> I'll give you a bullet. <laughs> I'll, we'll be Here's trading, a chicken. Give me LASIK. We'll be trading guns for LASIK for our family. <laughs> yeah. I'm plumb out yeah. of guns. Give me some. I need. I, what do you want? Oh, uh, yeah. Let's hit him with the takeaway. What I want to talk a little bit about is consciousness engineering. I've been reading a book that is the code to the extraordinary mind, and it really talks about getting in to a mental state at the beginning of the day where you are designing how you're living your day. So they give a lot of different strategies. The book is what I really think is interesting is he talks about getting into your day and envisioning uh, what the day is going to go like. So if you have an important meeting, spending five minutes seeing how well that meeting goes, 
um, and saying, you know, this is what I want to get out of it. This is kind of my goals and this is how I envision the meeting going. So that when you are in the meeting and let's just say your order uses the example, you're at a lunch meeting and they screw your order up. Well, you're not going to really care about your order being screwed up if you're so focused and prepped on the really important things. So it causes you to really shift your mindset and see only the positive things. That would be pretty funny, though, if a lunch order disruption derailed your, yeah, your approach. You're an idiot. You got some problems. If, if you get mad because your lunch order gets derailed, <laughs> you, need you more than, have some You need more issues. than consciousness engineering. Yeah, you, you're going to need to grab a fork and sit on it before the meeting. <laughs> well, I mean, it's been like a common thing for athletes for all of time, you know, they like try and hype themselves up or visualization has been a huge thing in golf too. You know, you're always supposed to like imagine yourself draining the pot or mm -hmm. visualize the perfect swing. So I can totally see that as just not something that I think everybody cares to think about when you like go into work, you know, nobody's like super jacked about the first half of their day. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna crush these emails. And you know, I, I at least don't go in with that energy. And you don't listen to pump up music. I don't every listen. Day. To, I don't listen to pump up music before I get into the office. And I have at times like done meditations about like you know certain um, states that I want to cultivate. Like uh, where there was this one period where I was extremely pissed off at this other employee, and we were just everyday butting heads. It was mm -hmm. no joke. And I would drive into work and I would consciously visualize like, okay, you know, she's just trying to do her job. She's Giving just doing her a hug. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I couldn't even get to that, to that level, but like just mm -hmm. trying to appreciate the fact that, you know, I, I need to be compassionate make it about the business, what's best for the business, not necessarily people's opinions, blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. definitely had to do that, uh, that self-talk thing. And um, I, it, it reminds me a lot of the Peak States article that you sent um, by... Mm -hmm. uh, ben Hardy. Yeah, Ben Hardy, Benjamin P. Hardy. He's uh, a medium. You know, you actually have the power to put yourself in a more optimal state to function. And it's, it's not like you roll out of bed and you're just the most psyched up best person that you've ever been, which I completely agree with. Mm -hmm. And so his whole thing is like get into a morning routine where you can encourage yourself to be in a peak state all day. Yep. So figure out what that is going to be for you and then just effing do it and stick to it. Yeah. So I've been trying strategies out lately that have been a meditation for about for 20 minutes. And then I have been writing in my journal believe it or not, and trying, because what I read was meditating takes it so far and to write it down kind of gets it out of your head and puts it to make it a little more real. Mm -hmm. So I've been trying this I'm a couple days in, so nice. it hasn't been a new, we'll, we'll see how it goes mm -hmm. as I engineer my consciousness and I'm trying all these things together. One of the things that it's interesting is I th he was a coder, so this guy that wrote the book was a coder before. He talks about how you're, he thought, like, you, we need to think of ourselves other than human beings more like computers. Mm -hmm. So we're an OS, an operating system. Mm -hmm. And each one of these things, like the meditation app, it's something that we download and we, like, conscious, we, we update so that we can improve ourselves all of the time. Mm -hmm. And we may go through, like, some experience which gets us to fix some bugs. So he talks mm -hmm. a little bit about we need to change ourselves and be comfortable with these updates that we're doing 
and also going out there and finding these other applications or workouts or books to read, things that will adjust your that what would, you think will give you the operating system upgrade that you're looking for. <laughs> yes, I, I really like that way of thinking about it because uh-huh. it makes it so much less personal and about like you know you not being good enough or whatever or like you not you know exactly you know it, it makes you're you not enough. Yeah, yeah. It it makes it about well, this is just the optimal state solution. Solution. Yeah. We're just trying to improve ourselves and get better and using these little tips and tools I think it's a great it's a great point and for some people I it's funny because I read you read a lot of these books and people poke at kind of the same thing from so many different directions yeah yeah, like people are poking at the same what I see as a constant like you know three or four themes okay and they're coming at it from eight different directions like this guy with his uh you know, like meditation is a is a popular one so being able to give gratitudes towards people mm-hmm. and it's really all like ego getting away from your ego and pulling yourself away and being becoming more just being with your goals just and, being more of an outside dog it's, across it's, the board it is literally really. just being an outside dog yeah well honestly we did a uh, episode about like the four things mm-hmm. um you know about what it takes to be an outside dog and are so are you seeing kind of similar you know, similar trends here, or is there, is that the theme you're talking about? Yes, those those four things we talked about Mm -hmm. in our previous episode, which I think those are the themes that a lot of these books are getting at, and they're coming at different ways, and people, you know, maybe hit on one of them, or maybe they hit on three of them. Yeah. You know, maybe they have a technique that hits on one of them, maybe like three of them, like the Mel Robbins three-second rule, which is basically count down from three, two, one. And then go, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a great book. Mm-hmm. It's super motivating, actually. Yeah. I, I love that book. You know that gets at kind of your agency thing. So mm-hmm. it all goes agency, back to radical our, accountability. Mm-hmm. You know all those similar kind of things. All the four that we talk about. So that's cool. Well, mm-hmm. uh, speaking of you know being in a peak state and not being in a peak state, I don't know if anybody watched the uh, Alabama Georgia football game last night, but. Uh, we were just chuckling beforehand because they were showing a couple of shots of the kicker before he went on to take the last second field goal that, to win the game. It was like a 36-yard field goal. 37, very, straight on. Very much within the wheelhouse of a, of a, like high, school, one all year. Of a high school kicker. He missed like one all year in under 40 or something like that. And uh, yeah, they showed some camera angles of him, and he was just drenched in sweat. And his face was white. His face was white. And he I, looked so uh, – we both talked about this. I in it's easy to say in hindsight, but I had a thought that said mm-hmm. I think he's gonna miss it. Yeah, and uh, thought came into my set my head like that. And then they showed two replays of him missing big game kicks beforehand before this. Oh, so I was like, oh man, there's no way this guy's gonna make it. And then uh, the camera that I was watching uh, was showed the timeout right before the snap, and he actually ran back to the net teed up a ball and like kicked one last one before he scraped out of the field. <laughs> and he, and then like that was the trigger in his mind that he was like, Oh, I think I got this. And I just equate it to that time when you're like stepping up to the ball and you feel like you got the shot, 
but you decide to take the practice swing, and the practice swing is the one that you want then to you hit just the ball. Nail that you just perfect, it. Yeah. perfect practice swing, and, and then, then you, you just go, chunk oh, that the was ball. Perfect. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then what I should do for the rest of my life is I should always step away from the ball whenever that happens. You should not. That's maybe that's the difference between professionals. I think professional golfers get themselves in peak states, and they have a routine that gets them in that. Exact, yeah. and they trust their intuition on when to go. Yep. And that is one of the huge things that separates us as amateurs to them. Oh, it's golf is such a mind game. It's ridiculous. It's it's a beautiful mind game. It's uh, it it can be terrorizing as well. It I is. Mean, it's just it just totally it just totally mind fucks you the whole time. It does. And sometimes you know you just play it out of your mind, and then you get a triple bogey, and the round is ruined. Well, not ruined, but you can't bounce back. I mean, but it's so different because it's like you have everything within your capability to turn the whole thing around. But whether or not you're going to do it is really it. You know? Yeah, like you hit a bad drive and you're, you're like telling yourself, like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'll be yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. And you shake one into the woods. You're like, I can still make bogey from here. And then you launch it onto the green and then you three putt. And now you got a triple. Yeah. And it's like you have a chance every shot to hit a shot on the hole. That's yeah. what I always try to yeah. tell myself is like, all it takes is one good golf shot, yeah. and you're in this hole. You're yep. in this hole. And that's I feel like true. that's how a lot of professionals approach it is they just are like, just give me a shot. Like yeah. even I, I can make my shot. One golf swing at a time. It's just this one swing I can make it there. Mm-hmm. And they just constantly assess that one swing. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, we're, it makes me also think of this different point about um you know, our obsession with peak states and all of this stuff, because all of this stuff, you know, thinking of oneself as a computer operating system is really cool in certain regards. And it's also perhaps, um, I don't know if it doesn't acknowledge the social, yeah, I don't know if it doesn't acknowledge the social emotional component of being a human being or if like the intuition basically. Yeah. Yeah. That part definitely does not fit into the computer model because computer programming, you know, is presets of conditions. And I believe intuition is the absence of preset conditions. Mm -hmm. And intuition is the thing that strikes when you're not thinking. I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, I know what a good decision is when I cannot, or a rule of thumb of when you step away, when I step away or also when I can't rationalize why I'm doing something Mm -hmm. because I find myself, uh, when I logically rationalizing, exactly. Like basically connecting as many dots as you can. Like if you can, uh, and uh, I read an interesting quote about like, if you can rationalize why you're making a decision, that means you're acting from like your mind state, which is like your headspace, which is like your thoughts, which is the yeah. programming component. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm all about downloading new programs so you can have a better mind space. And what I love about this quote is it says, if you cannot logically understand or explain anything about why you want to make a decision, Chances are you're operating from like an intuitive space or your heart space was there. Your heart space. You know, I completely there. agree with that. Yeah. A higher space which does not, cannot be explained. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think an interesting thing to go along with that is a lot of, so this book that I have been reading, another one, is called The Undoing Project. And it talks about how his, 
they were basically telling historians how it's really easy to connect the dots afterwards. It doesn't Extremely. make any sense at the time. Yeah. And they were talking about human choice and how humans overlook statistics, like really simple statistics. Hmm. And I haven't been through the book enough. And so once I get through the, the next part, and I can kind of circle back on what that means. But Well, let me make a guess here. It's the, the circumstances that human beings have overlooked the statistics that have led to the greatest advancements in evolution. Uh, say that again. It's the circumstances where humans have overlooked the statistics or perhaps made the choice that is not congruent with what the statistics would suggest lead to the greatest advancement of evolution or development or whatever you want to call it. Yep. You, it, it, it's there. I mean, there's multiple themes in the book. Yeah. The yeah. theme, the first theme that really comes in hard is humans are absolutely terrible at statistics. Yeah. And we will make decisions that are so easy that are not based on re, like we can't discern. And this is they did a, a study with physicians. They pick on scientists, physicians a lot because they talk about really easy diagnosis. And what what happens with physicians is they get so uh, concerned with one diagnosis that they forget to step back and look at, OK, what is the most probable cause? Because maybe they have learned that somebody has a history of heart disease or some little factor, which when you look at a disease, um, they're really struggling with that. So it's really interesting. It's a good book. I know it's been on some be couple bestseller look books um, by Michael Lewis. And mm -hmm. I think you're right about the decisions that are made from a state that isn't logical are the best ones. And uh, I, I recently watched a um, Simon Sinek's TED Talk on... The why? Yeah, yeah. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. Mm -hmm. And that's such a great one to revisit. If you haven't seen that one yet, just search Simon Sinek, S-I-N-E-K, on TED Talks. It's like the um, most, second TED or third most TED talk, watched TED Talk in there. Yeah, and his whole thing is like, people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And... Um, one of his points was that he wanted to, the reason he got into this research was he wanted to understand why people uh, made these great advancements in the world when statistics should have won. And um, mm -hmm. his example is the Wright brothers. Uh, so the Wright brothers were, you know, nobody's in Dayton, Ohio. They didn't have any, you know, not a single person on the Wright brothers team had a college degree. And um, he makes this comparison to a Harvard scientist who he says, you don't even remember his name. And the funny thing is, I don't remember his name right now. But um, he was funded by the U.S. military. He had the who's who's of uh, science following him around. He actually had the New York Times following his every movement because he was supposed to be the guy who was going to like solve man, the flight, the first man powered flight. Mm hmm. And um, the whole thing is, you know, he didn't. And then he actually quit when the Wright brothers did, which showed his true motive, which was fame and fortune, not necessarily to find. He didn't care about. Yeah. So his whole thing was like, you got to really get to the why uh, in order to 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 achieve success. And mm -hmm. I, th I think that's kind of a similar, um, you know, approach to what you're talking about here. Well, and 
I'm happy that a lot of the career decisions I've made lately are driven by those missions. And I think hopefully in the end they will work themselves through. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and speaking of big decisions, uh, and also all of this, you know, relentless pursuit for perfectionism, uh, I noticed, I read a really interesting article on Big Think the other earlier that uh, talked about why millennials are the most mentally ill uh, generation. Okay. And their their whole purpose bubbled it down or boiled it down to perfectionism, which I really liked because I have not made that leap. To, I hadn't intellectually made that leap to perfectionism. I always um, talked about how um, like social expectations and, was the, okay. was the problem. Mm-hmm. So I always thought that like unrealistic expectations or problematic expectations were the problem. Which with, that, that is that which is perfectionism. It is. It is. It is uh, a layer lower. Mm-hmm. Perfectionism is kind of the idealism, you know, because you don't really want to say like lower your expectations or whatever. That's not that. <laughs> that was kind of the point of of the article is like perfectionism does need a lowering of expectations, but it's there were there are three different types of perfectionism um there's like inward focused perfectionism which is all about being um you know setting unrealistic expectations for yourself about achievement there is like other person perfectionism which is having um too many expectations about the way other people should um you know should act and perform Mm -hmm. and then there is um uh, like pressure on yourself to perform to others' standards. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, those were the kind of the three. And I thought that was an interesting way of cutting this, this issue of like mental health, mental health, why people are struggling. Mm-hmm. I think you, I think that's a really interesting point because I think it's hard to pin down why people struggle because there's so many different reasons. And I think unrealistic slash perfectionism is. Exactly right. You think of why people post these photos of their beautiful weddings and they post these photos of their beautiful vacations and then they become addicted to these likes because it reinforces this perfect self they've created Mm -hmm. in their mind and also, you know, through the manifesting of Facebook or whatever it is. Well, and I've always felt like the deepest sense of like, Meh, ickiness oh, God, like so icky when you see it happening and it's so obvious to see happening it's, it's sad and and really I, hard it is and ultimately i'm confident that like we will win out overall and that won't be like the over you know i don't think we're on that path i don't know no i don't think we're on that path i think we have the controls in place and i think we are evolving you know you you heard that the most widely watched Religious gathering was Eckhart Tolle's spirituality. I think that gives me hope that people are starting to tune in. I'm a little nervous about those that are tuned in are going to really reap the rewards. So if you're not operating at a peak state and you're not consciously aware, you're not engineering your consciousness, if you're Mm -hmm. not an outside dog, Mm -hmm. those inside dog pens are going to be tiny. Yeah, if you don't listen to the Rumpus Room podcast, you know. I think think there will be a movement. 
I mean, there already is a, you know, a bell curve of people. Sure. And I think there will be just, it'll be harder to move along the spectrum towards, you know, this consciousness and. Well, then, and I was thinking about how the, uh, all this stuff we talk about, none of it is, was a part of our educational upbringing. Not even close. Nobody ever talked about morning routines in high school. It's all about like functional skills. None of it was about self-discovery. Functional skills we don't use. So functional skills we really don't use that much. And, Not at all. Yeah, and and it's it'll be interesting to see how, um, you know, and, I, and I'm not plugged into the education system enough to know what the innovative teachers are doing because I'm sure the innovative teachers are out there like doing this stuff with kids. Well, they I know there's meditating is is a thing now mm-hmm. for young kids, mm-hmm. and I I think there are probably curriculums that are getting kids to have confidence that's instilled in them and get them to take risks and do things that are rewarded in the world. And they are, I think they're sponsored by Just Brown Underwear. They are completely sponsored by Just Brown Underwear. That's take awesome. risks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can take, <laughs> take a risk in your Browns. Feel free to take the turn after nine. You don't need to go inside. Take that risk. Yeah, you can take the risk. Sure, you can have another beer. Take a risk in yeah. your grounds. <clears throat> well, coined a new phrase there, fellas. Yeah, but I, I, ladies. I really I think that uh, what, what you were talking about earlier is how it's going to be more challenging for those individuals not exposed to this type of information Yes. to move up and down the social space spectrum of like you know progressiveness or achievement or success or whatever you want to call it yes i completely agree yeah and and there's a lot about like the middle class that's going away and social mobility is what the you know the social mobility index is the measurement of how easy it is for an individual who's in a lower class to go to uh, a higher class or to Mm -hmm. move it within the within the social system socioeconomic system and denmark actually has the most fluid the easiest um it rewards the hardest work it's the it's the easiest socially mobile class system and mm-hmm. then the united states despite being the american you know being the american dream or whatever is society is, is really not no no well i think i mean access to information is the most important thing to yeah. that argument yeah. in my opinion mm-hmm. and it would be great if we got some of these billionaires together and they just gave everything away Gave well, all of these still, mindsets though, away. And I know, but still, the the systems that we've built are so inefficient at spreading out, you know, the information and knowledge in a way that makes sense. Yeah, that, true. Like public schools. I mean, it would be it would be pretty abysmal if you just did an influx of cash because I feel like you got to do. No, no, I just mean like, how do they put programs into schools, or mm-hmm. how do they use their influence, like Google? Mm-hmm. Google gives could give all these Chromebooks to all these kids and put certain things and help them learn certain thing, techniques and mm-hmm. you know it, it it's something that it is possible mm-hmm. i think it's possible yeah and i maybe so you also said 20 you know we got a topic about here zuck said that 2018 is the year to fix facebook yeah so i, what's I, all, what's I that? thought that was a huge joke because so well i'm kind of making fun of mark zuckerberg so 2009 he came out and said this is a really serious year. I'm going to wear a tie the whole year. So that was really? his sign. 
I mean, it shows you how big of a nerd this guy is. That was his sign to the company he was taking it seriously. Did he actually follow through? I think he did. Okay. Which, well, then that's awesome. And so 2018 is the year to fix Facebook. Like, and that's what his goal is to fix it. So step one, fix. Step two, it. Yeah. Step three, fix it. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, so we'll see what happens with the solution. But he, I think, is responding to all of the negative criticism that they have been getting lately. A former engineer, VP of engineering, whatever he was, that article you were talking said, basically said, we're ruining society. Um, I think we have ad nauseum beat the crap out of that argument on this podcast. Yeah. How staying away and consuming terrible media is really bad for your mindset and mental health. Yeah, it's 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 like just clipping on a weight to yourself yes. that prevents you from like going or makes you have to carry like an additional burden. Mm-hmm. Like most modern media, in my opinion, is like here's another burden for your life, friend. You know, yeah. it's like terrible socially. It is. Yeah, no, and I think there's a lot of strategies that you can get in, but I, I thought that was interesting that Mark made a step forward, and it was in the Wall Street Journal front page, and said this is the year he's going to fix it. Well, that is when you have people like, you know, that uh, VC firm, and it was actually the California Teachers Board, E Board, yeah, like Teachers the Union, Union Trustee Board, or whatever. Yeah, that or part of the Apple um, because they own like a huge chunk of it a huge chunk which is terrific their pensions do and um, that that argument you know we even revel in the decision to make the advancement of human beings a economic you know to derive economic value from the advancement of human beings which I Facebook has definitely been in the camp of like you know we're going to rape and pillage and this is the new TV. You it know, is completely the new TV. Much like we just sap your attention with mindless garbage so we can sell you crap. And then you can click on things that put in quotes and we don't see any, like we did it for just Brown and that hundred dollars went real quick and then we didn't see a lot of influx in any of those websites. No. And I'm, I'm sure we could do a better job configuring our system and whatever. And there are tons of people who we could pay to do that stuff and we may want to consider it, but like overall, I, I, you know, the system itself is not, um, set. It, it doesn't appear to be set up in the, um, advantage, you know, it doesn't appear to set the user up for an advantageous state in life. So no, not at all. So if Zuckerberg is really considering that to be what it takes to fix Facebook, that would be such a huge, um, an impactful, huge accomplishment and very impactful because they're talking about new cheap plans with all this net neutrality, cheap plans that would have, you know, hot route access to Facebook and that's it. Ugh. That is the only Ick. thing they will have access to in their cheap plan. So, you know, you, everybody knows what's happening there. So it's it's a, it's a dangerous game, and hopefully these guys can figure it out, and I think... Well, well I, I wonder <clears throat> if having the altru... Yeah, guys and gals. I wonder if the altruistic kind of like bend on a business is going to be you know if our generation perhaps that's what's going to keep us out of world war three is if our generation can make that leap to 
really believing that business's value is to serve society, serve, serve society, not mm-hmm. necessarily return to yeah, the bottom in line, yeah. the bottom line. Cause a lot of these companies are driven by quarterly profits and how can mm-hmm. we, and how can we evolve that metric of the quarterly profit to something that is more meaningful? Well, and I know they came out with the B Corp, which is mm-hmm. a, uh, company that is for profit but acknowledges in their uh, company structure bylaws all those sorts of things that um, they have a commitment to a mission mm-hmm. and I I did meet a company that was an official B Corp and I was just kind of like mm, this kind of strikes me as a sales ploy yeah. it didn't really it didn't really stick for me in terms of like is this is this the way that we get beyond this you know relentless you do have to start it with the finances like yeah. you have to incent the people appropriately much like I'm experiencing in healthcare they have to be incented with money it's kind of yeah. sad mm-hmm. but money has to be a part of it it can't just be a mission and a you know good thing cuz i've seen plenty of healthcare professionals and employers and payers and everybody doing what drives them and that's the dollars Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and if you are concerned about your ability to address any of those problems we'll just now know that your guns are freaking loaded locked and loaded <laughs> we crushed that but now yes yeah. i think i'm out of gas what about you i'm uh, completely out of gas <laughs> right. or is it smoke that we're out of oh what mostly it's howling i've been howling at yeah. that i'm out of breath that thing that uh, north star for a long time no kidding so uh y'all have a good week and we'll catch you back here in the rumpus room